Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Thank you, Dave Slade. Thanks for joining us here on another Baseball America podcast. I'm John Manuel, along with J.J. Cooper. A couple topics today uh, with our guest is Josh Norris, our own ice bear, who wrote the New York Yankees Top Ten Prospects. Uh, what's your fourth year doing that now, Josh? Yep. I guess so. You sound really pumped and jacked for that, but we're also going to start off talking about one of your other beats around here. Uh, your beats rhymes in life at Baseball America include uh, Biz Beat, and that includes minor league logos. And Josh, you are more whimsical than I am. We'll, we'll say that for sure. Anyone who goes by the nickname Ice Bear and enjoys a bear flipping a table gif as much as you do, um, I suppose I should say gif. I'm sorry. Um, I prefer gif. I do too, but I know Josh is a gif man. Um, but anyone who loves a, a good gift like you do is a little bit more whimsical than me. But Josh, is, is New Orleans baby cakes too whimsical for you? And if not, what is too whimsical for you? Binghamton Rumble Ponies? Osceola Frogs? My only rule is that it has to be non-offensive to major swaths or ethnic groups or religious groups. That's all it is. I mean, I, I know what these groups are doing. They're trying to sell jerseys. They're trying to sell hats. Well, and, you know, after the initial backlash from social media, they will. Um, I think uh, I saw someone with a good take on it that it, this, this kind of stuff goes in, in phases. It's Immediately there's the initial backlash. No, we'll never buy a jersey. We'll never buy a hat. And then they warm to it. And then on opening day, they go to the park and they see it in action. And then they start buying hats. And then they love it. It happens that way. I mean, it, it changed for a lot of people. Um, isn't always welcome, but they get used to it. And I'm sure the baby cakes and the rubble ponies and the fire frog and the wood ducks and whatever Fayetteville becomes will sell a, a, a lot of merchandise based on this new stuff. I will disagree <laughs> personally and, and vociferously <laughs> in that at some point it's... Uh, I'm paraphrasing the way JJ put it earlier, but you're all, all these teams are trying harder and harder and harder to get attention. And I I think most of the teams this off season have really uh, gone beyond, well, they're not offensive, but it's just not tasteful. Rumble ponies is ridiculous. I I don't, I mean, I know, I, I know what rumble ponies are trying to do, but, and they're trying to play off Binghamton's nickname as the carousel capital of the world. So they had like a bunch of the, a couple of those nicknames that they suggested. Uh, there was the, the rumble ponies, the rocking horses. And I think there was another carousel based nickname among the finalists. I see what they're trying to do. And the they're baby trying to cake, sell, they're trying to sell merch. Like you said, they're just, that's well, all they're well, trying right. to do. They're I'm not saying, trying to do anything else than sell merchandise. And I, and I get and then, it. I, I'm, I understand the motivation. <laughs> I would never buy any of those gear. And I think Baby Cakes is, I don't care what the tie is to uh, Mardi Gras. It's a baby with eye black, uh, uh, the, the cake, whatever the cake, uh, whatever, I forget what somebody tweeted at me what the actual name of the cake is. What's the cake called again? I think it's like King Baby Cakes or yeah. something. Yeah, I mean... Or- <laughs> It's the busy logo. It's an ugly logo. It's a baby clutching a cake in one hand and three baseball bats in the other. 
There are five different logos, and they're going to be human beings running around on a baseball diamond with the word cakes across their chest. And those players are AAA players who will be, in a lot of cases, guys who played in the major leagues. And yes, I know you retweeted the guy in Fresno who says they don't care what they're wearing. He's wrong. He tweeted the picture himself with Alex Bregman looking like God in heaven, get me out of Fresno in his Three Amigos jersey that day. So the players do care, and the players have more taste than the teams. That's probably a problem. <laughs> and I just think the teams have, all these teams have reached a new low of, they're on the wrong side of taste. I, I hate to sound, I hate to quote Nina Garcia from, uh, from uh, Project Runway, a show about fashion and clothes, but I question their taste level. I think all these rumble ponies, baby cakes, only fire frogs and wood ducks are decent nicknames, and the wood ducks are down east, which is just even dumber. So I think we've had a I, – I don't see one nickname change this offseason that's been for the better. Jumbo shrimp being, in my mind, probably the dumbest because Jacksonville Suns actually has history and was a good logo and a good nickname. So I, I, don't, I, I think all been – none of them has been an improvement, in my opinion. I like the Nutria. I like the why didn't they just become the New Orleans Nutria and play off the Nutria logo, which was unique, local, and kind of cool. But I liked it. You, you did sum it up. As much as you may dislike these, it'll be six. These all every single one of these changes is going to be six. We'll see. Binghamton Mets they'll make more money than with Rumble Ponies and Binghamton Mets, but we don't know. It's theoretical if they'll be more successful than what it might have been if they'd chosen a non-brandiose non-ridiculous idea that's all we just don't know i can't say for certain or not i know I the rumble you, ponies will sell more merch than binghamton Mets. the jumbo shrimp will sell more than the suns did i i i'm i'm sure that it will i would be interested to see they didn't even involve their local community because they know that suns has 50 plus years of history so they just made that change on the run right, but as you just said do you agree they they're going to sell again in the first is, year in, in the first year we'll see Jumbo shrimp, is pre- Jumbo shrimp is pretty stupid. It's but they'll, they'll, pretty stupid. They will sell. They will. I'm, I'm curious if they will. Jumbo shrimp is not like for kids. Rumble ponies kind of is. Is Jumbo shrimp or the, but, the shrimp hanging from the Florida Peninsula from the Panhandle looking to have coitus yes, with the state sing, of Florida? Yes, every single one of those sells more than a traditional logo. Those, those almost without most fail. Of them. Almost. Almost without fail. Almost. Those sell more than if you play it straight. They do, and that is what is. I'm not saying to play it straight, JJ. I didn't. I never said that because I love chihuahuas and I love isotopes. You don't have to play it straight. You just don't have to play it absurd. I'm not saying play it straight. I'm not saying do Jacksonville Suns. I'm just saying don't do Jack. Don't do food. For me, food as a nickname is ridiculous. I'm sure the Montgomery Biscuits have done well. I don't know if they would have done better if they hadn't chosen a food item. I think I just probably, don't know. the reality is, is they probably did better by choosing it because they got more attention from that than a lot of more tasteful but still out there. Well, there's nothing untasteful about biscuits. They're tasty, but just the, just in pa- general. But, but also, it's not they aren't the Bowberry biscuits. But, but they, <laughs> you know what I mean. But what they have the advantage though that they do have is that they were. One of the first on the scene. Again, you, the thing I agree with you completely on this, and Josh, I'm mean, wondering what you think. Like, where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. Because it is something where a whole part of this idea is is that you break through nationally, and it does happen with all these. You may, you get national attention 
which is a way that you can sell merchandise outside of your local area. Right. Again, the Albuquerque Isotopes, which had built-in name recognition from the Simpsons, sold more in its first year than 15 major league teams. I can promise you that none of these teams will do that because none of them have the Simpsons boost that Albuquerque but Isotopes that's fine, but that's piggybacked onto the most that's that, that's that's the that's like their big record for first year right but what i'm saying but that's not but these teams the, the problem you do have is this as, as we keep escalating up the ladder it does make it more difficult to break through which means you have to go crazier right which and i i mean is there an end in sight josh or is it are we, we are, are we near i was going to say are we nearing a point of peak crazy logo I mean, depends. Let's see how these what five or six of these teams do. Remember, we still got Staten Island coming. Yep. Which you guys are going to hate more than anything. I mean, all their names are really weird. I don't think Pizza Bridge. Rat, see, I don't Bridge. think Bridge Trolls is really weird. Wait, wait till you see the logo. <laughs> I'm sure it will be very weird. Um, that's also going to be Brandios. Um, so Brandios, Bridge you're Trolls, telling me is the problem is. here <laughs> for me. I think. I mean, I think it is for you. But yeah, because these have all been Brandios names. All been brandios designs, rather. All Even the, the Hillcat, the uh, the hills, uh, the Lynchburg Hillcats. Um, we're going to do a name change this year, but bagged it, and instead, I don't even think they made it to the finalists, um, and instead just changed their logo and their colors. And those are brandios too. And I'm curious to see how that does in terms of merch, um, you know, as compared to a a name change. Uh, with the redesign. Now they're the Hillcats. They've got different logos, different colors. I think it's like green and purple and yellow um, for their Hillcats. And I'm sure they'll, those hats will fly off the shelves too, just like the Norfolk Tides did this year. They, they stayed the Norfolk Tides, but they introduced uh, a, a seahorse looking really angry with its scepter and all sorts of different uh, logos with it too. And they And their merchandise jumped off the shelves as well. Um, like as in like best in team history, so it doesn't always take necessarily a name change, um, just something new. Correct. Fans will always buy something new. Um, and, like and, it's and, Staten and, Island's coming up, and they're going to and some logo clever or a good logo. Those things help. Bradios clearly knows what it's doing, and I understand that. But which of those baby cakes logos <laughs> is a good logo? Not to mention the nickname. Or the absurdity. Which logo is a looks like a logo that isn't too busy, or is it? You know, I liked the, and it's hard for me to describe it to the the listeners here. But there was one of the five. If you see it on our website, um, in the lower right hand corner, where it was the one that has the no baby, and <laughs> you know, there's a scepter and a cake. I mean, that's a fine logo, and I'm only remembering at this point the other one, which was the baby with the scepter and the scowl and the half-eaten donut that looks like a caterpillar tail coming out of them. But, um, right. I thought I, you were talking about the I don't one. remember the other three at this point. I thought you were talking about, because there's the one, there's this one logo that, uh, this picture that has five logos. Like one that's like the, yeah, yeah, that's coming out like a caterpillar. Same one. The one right. where he's that's carrying the, some kind of ladder on wheels. I would love Yeah, that. I didn't get that one. Yeah, I guess we have to have someone from New Orleans tell us that one. Um, but the one that has the I mean, he's a baby. He's not very tall. Excuse me? Because he probably needs that ladder. <laughs> yeah. 
But that's also the one where he's clutching. He's a, he might be small, but he's clutching a ladder under one arm and three baseball bats in the other. He's an awfully strong baby. I guess that's a Ruthian baby. He's, in that he's a king baby. Come on. I guess so. Did you, you did you yeah. ever see the? Um, they had a, a life-size king baby mascot at the Pelicans games for a while, and if you imagine that in mascot form. Um, it was horrifying and scary, <laughs> so much so that they had so much so, so that they had to go back to the um, the actual Pelican logo, which people had complained was too scary. So they that, they ran into that problem with the Pelicans, but they had um well for, for the jerseys yesterday they had um, a fashion show after the initial uh, reveal. Um, so I had Destin Hood come out there in the new baby cakes jerseys, and a couple other like team. Uh, representatives whose names got muffled because the live stream was not the greatest. And then they had a video where it was like, uh, Jim Mora, I am a baby cake. Yeah, Shaquille O'Neal, I am a baby cake. And, you know, all these other ones that there were, you know, local uh, emissaries from around the city and sports celebrities proclaiming their love for baby cakes. So we'll see. It's going to be, uh, I'm just, uh, it's going to be fun come April 2017 to see how that works and and the minor leaguers that get to be both jumbo shrimp and baby cake in the it. same year. You get promoted from Double A Jacksonville to Triple A New Orleans. You go from being a jumbo shrimp to a baby cake. So, and then you can go into Miami where they have a giant Marlin statue that you know lights up after every home run, and it's all green and teal and everything. And there's fish in an aquarium behind home plate. That was my the point. The logo's fine, but the stick. That was my point to my wife is that you know the thing is it is the Marlins and they have a ridiculous major league logo but the team that and logo and uniform a team that has i would say even as someone who's never been a fan of their team the best major league uniform and the most timeless major league logo is the New York Yankees they sell plenty of merch and gear as well uh, around the world yes they do they do it without gimmicks they do it because they win and they do it because as an organization they have class so i and i say that again as someone who grew up a red sox fan and grew up thinking that Bucky Dent's middle name was an expletive. So, well, I will say that they have run into problems this year based on not having class, on on Lon Trost coming out and basically saying we don't want the unwashed masses uh, buying tickets from behind home plate because they've never sat in that seat before. That they're and, the, 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 and I would I would agree with you. The Yankees since two thousand nine and the opening of the new Yankee Stadium and. Uh, that it is to an extreme, as many of these names are. So, like, you can't share your food. They're out there thinking they're king cakes, but they're just baby cakes. You can't share your team. You can't share your food from down, from behind home plate and all that kind of stuff. But that's not what we're really here to to talk about. They look classy. No, but it's a good transition. I will say, well, I thought what I was doing was a better transition. So, (laughs) you know, um, (laughs) I liked, uh, I I think the Yankee, Yankee players now look like Yankee players did 30, 40, 50 years ago, and it's a timeless look. And, Josh, they have a lot of players who are new to pinstripes who seem to, when I spoke to Clint Frazier, for example, at the AAA championship game, he certainly respected being in pinstripes and getting his hair trimmed. And they have a lot of new talent in that organization, Josh. So you had a lot of new players to write about this year. Um, What was it like uh, writing up a Yankees farm system when the team had become – sellers and acquired prospects rather than a team that did the other you know usually tended toward the other direction it was it was easy it was it was really fun i mean 
there was, you know, 15 guys in contention for 10 spots, top 10. And, you know, you would really have to work very hard to pick someone who didn't belong in the top 10. You didn't have a shortage of candidates. I mean, Gleyber, uh, Gleyber Torres was really easy at number, number one. Clint Frazier was really easy at number two. It was it was a very fun list to do. There's just talent everywhere, and I think Brian Cashman did an excellent job both in the off season in acquiring um, a role as Chapman with the knowledge that he's later going to trade him, and then you know getting what they could for Chapman and Miller and Nova and Beltron at the deadline. What, what was it hard for you to decide on number one at all? I mean, last year you had Jorge Mateo number one. He took a little bit of a tumble this year. I mean, let's just compare kind of Glaber to Mateo. They were teammates in Tampa this year. Um, you know, at this time last year, we were pretty excited about the upside for Jorge Mateo, but we had a pretty high risk grade on him last year. I believe he was a 65 extreme in the prospect handbook last year. Gleyber Torres seems like a very different kind of prospect. There's nothing extreme in terms of his risk profile. No. I mean, he's a little, he's young for the levels he's been at, but that's about it. I mean, everybody that's he talks to, he says that's, a, that's just a bonus factor. Well, right. But um, anyway, he's, he's, um, he's a solid shortstop, everyone says. He's got power. He can hit. He can throw. They don't have much, many qualms about him staying on the position. I mean, there's not a lot of minuses in his uh, in his profile. There was, you know, a little bit of risk with with Mateo, and it kind of reared itself um, in the middle of the year when he got suspended for two weeks for insubordination. Depending on and, and depending on who you talk to, that the reasons for that insubordination might vary. Um, but there was always risk with him. He had 80 speed and the potential to hit and the potential for power. Um, and, you know, a chance to stay at shortstop. But he, you know, didn't show a lot of those things this year. He acted like a, uh, a younger guy in, in high A and had trouble with breaking balls and, you know, was, like I said, insubordinate and, you know, didn't have the year he wanted to. And, you know, Brian Cashman came out sometime over the last 10 days or so and said, you know, Gleyber Torres is going to start the year in double A, but we haven't figured out where. Mateo is going to start just yet, so I mean, a return to high A might be in the cards for him. One thing that's notable with that, though, when you say about you know he was a younger guy in high mm-hmm. A, uh, Mateo's a year and a half older than Glaber, which right. just signifies again just how impressive it is what Torres has done at the ages that he's done it. Mateo did lose a year to injury, so that's part of mm-hmm. that's that's a big reason I think for why he's older than Torres. I mean, I think he would have been you know, a full high season last year if he hadn't lost that year to injury. Uh, I, I will, here's a deeper question. This insubordination business with the Yankees, how big of a deal is this? Because Gary Sanchez had insubordination written about him several times, and he was suspended in his minor league career, and I think he turned out fine. How similar? Right, it depends, it, it depends on how you learn from it. If you, if you change your makeup. And people who I talked to for the list last year said that, you know, after a certain point last season, you could see the light switch flip on. And people in the Yankees organization say, you know, he got some positive influences in his life that, you know, basically told him, you know, shape up and fly right. Um, specifically, that being his wife. You know, his wife came into his life 
and he had a daughter, uh, I think it's a daughter, um, who, you know, really kind of turned the light on for him that this is reality. This is, you're, you're not just playing for yourself anymore. You're playing for your family. If you succeed, they do. And he became a man overnight. Not overnight, but, you know, quickly. So I don't know if that's the case with Jorge, but we'll see how he learns from it. Um, he clearly doesn't have the same kind of tools as Gary Sanchez either. I mean, his best tool is not as impactful as Gary Sanchez's best tool. Um, no. It sounds like all the people I talked to in the Florida State League, if you read between the lines of what they said, it sounds like the best fit for Jorge Mateo is probably center field. Do you concur with that, mm-hmm. Josh? I mean, I think so, without having seen him play center field, but some a scout brought up to me you know, this year that there are very few 80 runners, which Jorge Mateo is, on the infield. D. Gordon is an exception. Um, right, that's a good but call. You want to use you want to use that eighty grade speed where it's you know most useful, and that's the outfield. And plus, you know, even though even even uh, if you want to keep him at shortstop, you do have Didi Gregorius in front of him. You do have Gleyber, Gleyber Torres in front of him. So there's only one sport, uh, one shortstop spot in New York. And he's the third best of the shortstops of those defensively, is he not? Of the three that I just listed? Yeah, because Gregorius is yeah, the best yeah. of that. Yeah. And, and Torres is... We all forget Gregorius had a pretty darn good year. Yeah. And he's 26 years old. I'm not sure how old he is, but he's a big leaguer and he's good. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's a, perfectly he's suited a good for the ballpark as well. I mean, that's a guy whose left-handed power is magnified playing in Yankee Stadium. Uh, Josh, I know you're a big fan... He 20 bombs this year. Yeah, uh, a lot of people did, <laughs> so... I know you're a big fan of Clint yep. Frazier. Um, yep, I like Clint. <laughs> Clint Frazier seems like he's not quite ready. His AAA season was strikeout-filled. How do you compare and contrast two completely different bodies in Aaron Judge and Clint Frazier who are vying for these corner outfield jobs in New York, whether it's right field, left field, or both? Kind of compare and contrast those guys a little bit and why Frazier ranks ahead of Judge. Well, you mentioned that the, the body type is a problem for Judge. I mean, he's 6'7", 275, and I don't think he's going to get six inches shorter this offseason. And I, I hope he doesn't. But that's been a problem, a question that evaluators have brought up for years. Is You know, he has a bigger body, ergo he has a bigger strike zone, ergo he has more hole, potentially. And pitchers at the next level in the major leagues found it out. He struck out in 50% of his at-bats slightly less than his plate appearances, but 50% of his bats. Um, the one thing that he does <clears throat> have going for him is that that's kind of been his M.O. so far in his career. He'll get to one level and he'll struggle for a little bit, and then he'll turn it on. When I saw him this year at AAA, he couldn't have looked much worse over three games, and he knew it. Um, but as soon as he left, uh, he went on a tear and you know repaired his prospect status, have whatever little it was dinged by that. And, you know, got to the major leagues and then, you know, showed off a little bit of the potential that he has with a couple of monster bombs um, in his first however many games he played before the oblique injury struck. But Frazier, there's been questions with um, a little bit of the swing mechanics, a little bit of the hitch in there. Um, you know, the Indians guys today worked on some stuff this year to make that swing a little uh, less busy. But he's got a lot of, of pre-swing movement. I mean, that's that's he talked yeah. about it in Memphis. He has a lot of pre-swing movement, and it's usually in the past 
been his upper body that people work about, but this year was in his lower body. So he just he just kind of twitchy. He just can't stay still in the batter's box. And you know he's not yeah. he's not a huge guy, but he's kind of he's jacked. Well, he, I mean, yeah, he's, he's, he's short. Oh, no, he's right. a huge yeah. guy who's short. Yeah, again, my physical comp for him remains carrot top. And I mean, like he's not gonna like that. But I mean, he, he looks like carrot top squished down. I don't know how tall carrot top is, but red hair, overly jacked body. I mean, like he's like carrot top, and he's he he knows what he has to do. I think the thing that impressed all of us the most talking to him in the futures game this year, JJ was. His knowledge of the game and feel for the game and he, passion for the, the nuance of the game that makes me think that he will figure it out. Right, and and again, you have to with him. He is someone who's moved reasonably quickly. I yeah. mean, this was a guy who was in AAA last year as a twenty-one-year-old. Right. You know, that's exactly that's something. Exactly, where, he's a twenty-one-year-old in AAA. Right. So there being some adjustment uh, that comes off of that is AAA struggles. And he also was adjusting to a new organization as well. He did hit in Double A before he uh, went up, you know, to Triple A. So, so there's a lot there, and it is. He is a very he's a guy who sees the game as a student of the game. He's someone who he cannot just talk about what he's working on. And yeah, we've all had conversations at some point with Clint Frazier about his swing. He talks about how he knows he has. It is easy for him to get. Hitchy with his swing. Right. It's easy for him. He gets and, hitchy with it. And it is something where he has the bat speed that has often allowed him in the past to get away with really some bad habits as right. far as his swing. And he knows that as you go up the ladder, you have to kind of clean that up some. But he cannot just talk about his. I mean, he can talk about pitchers. He can talk about other hitters. He truly studies the game. And that is something that is a positive, especially in the game nowadays when – there, if you want to, if you want to geek out on it, there's plenty there available to geek out on. It. Right. He can look at every swing he takes all year and analyze. Oh, wait, there's me. I'm let my hands drift a little bit there. That's what I need to work on. Or my lower half. I'm, I'm too busy before. You know, my pre swing setup. All those things. This isn't 25 years ago where you just kind of have to take it on faith that I, I don't feel right. Right. I'll tell you what. Uh... Obviously, the Yankees you know, made the wild card last year, but didn't make. They're the stretch, Josh, where they haven't made the playoffs as consistently as they did when they made it from every year from 1995 through 2007, um, and then missed that it, consistent. Missed it in 08 and then won it all in 2009. But since the 2009 World Series, and you look at their team, and yeah, I know they were younger last year. Yeah, you know, the Yankees were 12th in the American League in runs, 12th in on base. Yeah, Didi Gregorius hit 20 home runs. You know, I mean, he he had the uh, second best OPS plus on the team according to BaseballReference.com at 97. Brian McCann at 99. And I'm not, these are among their regulars. Obviously, Gary Sanchez, but Gary Sanchez and, and Carlos Beltran are the only guys who played reasonable playing time for the Yankees who were over 100. I mean, they just didn't yeah, hit I mean, last year. Mark Teixeira was Didi Mark Teixeira was terrible. Well, Alex he, Rodriguez was terrible. He was terrible, but like Starlin Castro and Didi Gregorius who are parts of this going forward, combined for 43 walks last year. They combined for 43 walks. Uh, neither of them had an on-base percentage over 305. So this team needs some patient hitters or some hitting. It seems like even the young players on this team don't have great hitting approaches. 
I don't think that's a strength of any of these guys with the exception of Glaber Torres. I, mean, well, I, I see Glaber Torres as pretty important in this team. When future. you say patient, I mean, Aaron Judge, all, what Aaron Judge is going to do for you is he's going to hit 230, 240, walk a ton, and strike believe, out a ton. I don't believe he'll walk a ton. I, I don't. I, I, every I, bit of his history is, is that he walks a ton, and he is a guy who walks, has the power. Uh, he walks a, a lot, but I don't believe he would say he walks a ton above a ball. 53 walks the previous year and 47 this year. The last two years, he's combined for 100. He walked a lot in a ball, but at higher levels with pitchers who can better exploit 6'7", 275, and he the holes posted, Josh talked about. He, he has posted close to 100 points above on-base percentage over batting average he, in, each, in it each was, level. It was, yeah, it's close. He's good at drawing walks. I mean, this year it was, what, uh, 270, 366 in AAA. He struck out even a in, lot more than the big leagues. But even in the big leagues, it was 179, 263. He's, I don't so, think of him as a guy who's going to walk 80 times a year or 75 times a year. I, and I do. I, I, and I think you're wrong. I mean, in AA and AAA, hasn't done that. So No, but actually he has. If you play, go that to a 162-game season, he, 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 that would be he, about but 70 stri- But he's striking out also like 90 more times than he walked in AA. And mm-hmm. he's oh, he a little better in AAA, but not in, not in the big leagues. And like Josh said, he made adjustments in AAA in his second time there. We'll see if he does that in the big leagues. There's no one his size in, I can think of in big league history who has been a guy who hit more than 230, 240, and also and controlled the strikes under some degree who's not going to strike out in this era 200 times. Yeah, the they, Richie Sexons and those kind of 6-7 guys. Richie Sexton did a de- – I mean, that's – That's, that, that's the best-case scenario. But when you say who is the guy that you're talking about, it is. That is it. it is, if Aaron Judge is going to be a guy at the big league level – what you're really kind of counting on is he's going to produce kind of like Richie Sexton did. That's what you're looking for. So would for. you call that a good offensive approach? I mean, I guess could be. I think the Yankees need some guys with approaches, I guess. Josh, I'm wondering. Richie to me, Sexton, it seems and they're going to get one. And his name is Greg Bird. He's kind of come back this year, and his approach throughout the minor leagues has been one where he you know, wins best batting eye and our best tools. Uh, thing he walked a hundred times in low A in a hundred and forty game season. That's the guy. He will take walks. That's where I was trying to That's head your guy. <laughs> before JJ and I butted heads on Aaron Judge. But I, I have a lot more faith in Greg Bird and his hit tool than I have in Aaron Judge's. Oh, agree. That's where I was. That's all but I was no, trying but to no, do. But, but, Greg but Bird that doesn't mean that, that Aaron star. Judge cannot. I mean, again, if he has Richie Sexton's career, that's a one twenty OPS plus for his career. That's a best case scenario, yeah. and I wish him luck in that. But I'm not as optimistic about Aaron Judge as you are. That's all I was trying to say. Um, I well, like the best. And they also have pitchers in this system too. Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. We, we the best offensive approach yeah. to me, the best offensive approach in their system is Blake Rutherford among their prospects. Um, yes. So yes. I'm I'm kind Blake of in Rutherford. love with Blake Rutherford's hitting ability. Um, do, what, what's your sense of the Yankees' like timetable for Blake Rutherford? Because I have a feeling that because of his advanced approach, he could move pretty quickly. Because they actually, when he was healthy, Greg Bird moved fairly quickly. He just never stayed healthy. I feel like Rutherford's going to be on a faster timetable than the average Yankee. Yeah, that he could be. Um, I mean, he. Got dinged this year already. He, you know, he missed a lot of games with a hamstring tweak. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him start at Low A uh, next year, and um, and then move to Tampa when uh, if he you know finds success at the half season mark. That would be reasonably aggressive uh, for me because he's you know high he's a high school guy. But I'm with you, John. I mean, I hadn't seen Blake Rutherford ever uh, before this year because that's you know not my domain usually. 
but dude, I haven't fallen in love with the prospect that hard in a while. Just everything was, you know, he could hit all um, to all sectors. He had good batting eye against guys who were much older than him and much more uh, wily, even in the um, the Appalachian League, where that's typically not a trait. But he had power. He could hit. He could hit. He could go the other way. He could pull it. It was it was eye opening to see what he did on a team of you know seventeen year olds who were striking out at anything with any sort of wrinkle to it. Well, he's definitely he should was, have been uh, more advanced than those guys coming from Southern California. He is nineteen years old. I think that's going to be a factor. I think he's going to move quickly. The other advanced approach guy that I like in their system, uh, in some ways, I, I almost. With a short term, I think uh, I think it's a lower ceiling than Aaron Judge, but I think Tyler Austin is more prepared to succeed in the major leagues. He does control the strike zone better. He doesn't strike out as much, and he does draw. I would say he's closer to drawing a ton of walks. I, I, I like Tyler Austin's offensive approach consistently better than Aaron Judge's. Um, I don't remember if he was even eligible for you, Josh. I guess he was not uh, eligible for the top for ten. No, he was eligible for the top ten, but okay. I – He's out. He'll be in the top. He'll be in the eleven to twenty somewhere. Um, a little lower ceiling. But uh, the, the a little lower he doesn't ceiling. Have Aaron and, power. You know, if, if right, he doesn't have Aaron Judge's power. And if Bird comes back, he doesn't really have a spot to play in the field. Um, so that's the, that's an issue unless you want to convert him back to third base somehow um, after all these years. But you know they they um, it's it's been his first good year in a while because his his wrist and hand and everything finally got healthy and he showed what he can do. Uh, he he didn't have the greatest year in the major leagues either, but um, he's got potential to be a piece. I don't know if he's going to be a starter or an impact piece, but he's something. And he's rounding back into the form that they saw for him. What was it, 2012, when he finally got to the upper levels and was just mashing. I wonder about, like, if he's one of your kind of guys, J.J., where, like, his control of the strikes on the minor leagues evaporates the big leagues because he doesn't have that right, other bat speed. The, the, the question is, is not bat speed. And also, I know he had a great, you know, he had, he had a pretty great debut, uh, you know, for a couple of games. But he, had this, a better, he had a better year in the big leagues than, than Aaron Judge. Oh, absolutely. Without so. a question. But the question with him long-term is, is, is he going to hit for enough power, which you right. have a the, – the case for him, you just summed it up, Josh, is this is the guy who's had to battle through injuries. And so there is some hope that his minor league statistical record is not necessarily indicative of who Tyler Austin, you know, you, you have to pick out spots of that to see who he really is, not the whole record overall. But is he, he's got to have to have enough of a threat to, to really, uh, and, he's, and you just summed it up also, which is, is it's just going to be tough. Like, right now... Just for what it's worth, he has an 828 career OPS yeah. in the minor leagues, and Judge is 845. Right. I mean, I think Judge has... I know Judge has more power, and I think Judge has a higher ceiling. I question... I like Judge better as a prospect. I would say for 2017, if I had to say who's going to be a better oh, yeah. year for the Yankees, I would say it's Tyler Austin. And I think he will get playing time between first base and their outfield corners... They need, as they're currently constructed, they need help. But they have, uh, Josh, they need more help on the mound. They have more position players. I'd say the big, the big leagues right now, they, they need more help in the big league lineup. But they, I think there's, they can get that trades and or, uh, you know, big league free agents that they need to. Their homegrown pitching, Josh, is a little bit bigger question. 
Um, and yet, the guys that you have in the top ten, there's some pretty interesting arms in James Caprillion, Justin Sheffield, Chance Adams, and Domingo Acevedo. I have to imagine that Chance Adams is the guy who's the least likely guy to jump into this top ten from when you were – if you had predicted what your top ten would have looked like at the end of the year, you would probably not have predicted Chance Adams being in it in April. Uh, yeah, you're correct. Um, the, the college reliever at Dallas Baptist who – Solely relieved in his first year in the minors, coming through and being the break, one of the breakthrough starters, maybe with Mitch Keller in the minor leagues. Yeah, I wouldn't have predicted that. Um, but that's exactly what he did. They, I remember Jay, uh, Damon Offenheimer told me that they were were planning on start seeing, or they thought about starting him, and you know it was it was possibly in the cards. And I thought, you know, is it is this going to be real, or is this going to be one of those scenarios where you uh, make a put a reliever into the starting rotation to get him some some experience in different situations that he might get in a minor league bullpen. But it was real, and he dominated in double A. Uh, he dominated high A first. I keep forgetting he was in high A. And then he destroyed in double A. And you know, he'll probably be in triple A next year and you know, banging on the door of the big league rotation at some point if he continues to succeed. But he was the Yankees' best starting pitching prospect, period, last year. And he looks like, you know, everybody I talk to thinks he's a three- uh, a number three type starter, maybe even a little better. And and that's the thing is that they have, um, you know, I think Chance Adams, JJ, we've talked about this in the office, he's a top hundred resume, oh, I, and he's number eight in this organization. I mean, this organization's got a lot of top hundred candidates. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, Chance Adams had success in a half season in AA with absolutely legit stuff. It's a weirder profile, but we've seen the college reliever turn pro starter. I mean, that's not something where this is not some, you know, one-of-a-kind type guy. No, I mean, we've seen that before. And there's nothing about Adam's stuff that does not say, yeah, this guy's got a chance to start. Right. And there's nothing about his stuff that says, I mean, he's not doing this with just touch and feel. He's also just going out there and blowing guys away at times. Yeah, and that's and that's it. He has he has a power approach, as does James Caprillion. <laughs> I guess uh, you know Josh. The short version of Josh Caprill, of James Caprillion that I got was seventy stuff, thirty delivery. I mean, like he didn't have those kind of. He did not consistently have that kind of stuff in college, especially and especially when we saw him either with UCLA, which I know you saw him a couple times, or with the USA national team. But yet the velocity has really gone up as a professional. The more he's thrown his fastball. I mean, how worried are the Dodgers? Are the Dodgers? How worried are the Yankees about his delivery? Or, or are they? Are they just going to kind of like ride him as as much as they can? I haven't heard them say you know that they're they're worried about his delivery one way or the other. It's unorthodox for sure. Deep, but, there's, there's know, a deep they, stab in the back. There's a big shoulder tilt. There's a lot of stress in that delivery. Yeah, it's not something Tom Demansky would teach <laughs> um, if he taught pitching. I don't I don't know why he's teaching this, but that's you know he wouldn't. Um, it's different, but when you see the stuff come out of his hand, it it doesn't it it it's really good. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I mean, he's got four pitches, and I, I've told him that my favorite thing about talking to evaluators about him is he's got you know the three off speed pitches, slider, curveball, changeup, and depending on who you talk to, no one can really decide on which one's their favorite. They uh, they love them all. They're uh, they're at least they're all average or better, and that's a really good. I mean, if he had. If he had stayed healthy this year, I know. Remember, Brian Cashman again was talking before last season. 
that he had an outside chance of making it to the major leagues by season's end. And I would not be surprised if he opened next year briefly at Tampa, just because it's not 40 degrees in Tampa to start the year, and then moved into the double-A rotation very quickly. Um, they're going to move him. I wouldn't be surprised at the end of the year in AAA or in the majors next year if he stays healthy. If and he's had a, a decent Arizona Fall League. If that's the case, then I hope he gets 50-plus innings for you so you don't have to put Tampa stat line, AA stat line, AAA stat line, Major League stat line, just for the interest of the top 10 capsule being a – or I hope he's number one no, so you have more room but, to write about him. Yeah, no, no. I mean, uh, <laughs> we hope he doesn't accrue Delvin Betances' career stat line in the minor leagues. <laughs> that's a good comp. But, I, mean, that was, I remember that was the first year I did that, and that was like a half a page of stats. It was bad. But the the thing with Caprellian that he did make it back, he pitched in the AFL. The the worrisome thing with Caprellian, I think to me that's most worrisome is just it seems like everything's okay, but this is the Yankees. They're they're an organization that's known to you know injuries are very minor until the moment where a guy misses two years. Um, <laughs> yeah, but they do go on the DL. They don't pitch with them. Right, but but the other but with Caprellian, I mean, he did miss. Almost the entire season. Yeah, I mean, he's made he's pitched twenty three yeah, innings he in the did. fall league. He's made all six of his right. starts. He's made all league. six starts, and the stuff was the same stuff. I mean, his stuff in the fall league is not diminished from where he was, you know. But in the three starts he made during the regular season, but that is there is some worry of a, when a guy has had uh, essentially a. This wasn't that he sprained an ankle, right? Yeah, he's forty innings. No, it was an year. elbow. It was an elbow flexor or uh, flexor tendon in his elbow, and he. I think it was tendonitis at first, and at some point he had a he was back on the mound in uh, extended spring settings, which you know you don't get stats for. But he had a setback, and then you know pitched in uh, instructs, and they deemed him ready for fall league, and here he is. Right, the fact that he's back for fall league makes it a big difference than if he'd just been shut down for the entire season. But it still is that that's to me like if you said where's the risk with Caprillion, that's probably you know that and the delivery are the two big risk factors because everything else is mm-hmm. really good. You talk about the, I mean like yeah. you talk about their fall league. I mean, Glaber Torres is hitting three seventy nine with twice as many walks, fourteen walks, seven strikes. Glaber Torres is a stud. He's a stud. I mean, he's like a top ten, top five caliber prospect. I mean, he, for me, he's nasty. He's he's that good. Um, I mean, they put him at second for one game out there that I remember seeing. And he and they was put turning double six base. games at second base. As a matter of fact, he's well, 15 I'll try to tell a story. Six, six at second, nine at short. Right. But the point being that he took the feed from David Fletcher and looked, you know, like he'd been playing for second for ten years. And he David completed Fletcher the double play said, on the stretch. What the hell am I doing playing shortstop? And he's playing <laughs> second base. You know. Yeah, he he had it was a double play. I think it was a game-ending double play completed solely because his arm is a cannon. Again, or whatever artillery piece JJ wants to correct me with. Rail gun. Rail gun. Again, there are. Yeah. Cannon's not bad though. Cannon's fine. Howitzer's a problem. Howitzer shoots with a arcing. Uh, you know, I wrote this in the Florida State League thing. I'm just saying, there's some similarities between Glaber Torres's tools and and Javi Baez's tools. I'm just gonna say that again because I got that from scouts in the Florida State League, and there's some similarity to their look. I don't think he's quite as twitchy as Javi Baez, but I also think he plays under more control. And I bet you he swings at breaking balls a whole lot less than yes, Javi Baez does. I, he does right but now. that is not going out. Yes, again. a fairly sturdy uh, limb I'm going out on there. So, And I will tell you, the uh, again, there was a game in the fall that I got to see where he was up with a chance to win it and not send us to extra innings for the third straight day. 
and the pitcher, I forget, who, I, was, I forget who it was on the mound, but he started with two straight breaking balls, and he just spit on them, and then he gets the fastball and destroys it. So it's just like he knew what was coming. I'll just say this. You, of all people, should never complain about extra innings in the Arizona Fall League. You know? No, no, I'm, no, I'm just he, – he, I'm saying for his sake. I'm sure they didn't want to. <laughs> yeah, but for your sake. Last but not least for no, me, no. J.J. may have more for you, but – what in the wide world of sports are you supposed to do? And speaking of David, so James Caprillion was drafted as college pitcher in the 2015 draft. The first college pitcher taken in the 2015 draft was Dylan Tate, and the Yankees have him now. And what in the wide world of sports are you going to do with that guy in the top 30? Um, somewhere in the 11 to 20 range. I don't know where just yet, but I think he's a reliever and a potentially really good one. I'm sure they'll give him a chance to start this year. At either, uh, at probably high A, he'll probably be in the same rotation to start the year as, uh, as Caprillion. But what, what I talked to scouts about and what I saw personally was consistency of stuff. And, you know, the first day you saw him, he was dynamite. You couldn't, you know, he, the first guy hit him, but after that was, um, it was pretty nasty. But the next time he came out, you know, both of his off speeds, his slider and his changeup were flat and people were having a field day against him. He needs to get that consistency and possibly eliminate one um, to go back to go back to the uh, the bullpen and be a two pitch guy uh, and and just dominates in an eighth inning kind of role. I think that's there's there's still upside as a starter, but I think ultimately he may wind up in the bullpen. It's going to be hard, I think, to give him the time he needs to develop as a starter because that's what he really needs. I mean, I don't mean to sound like Red, but he needs patience and time. So I guess actually I did mean to sound like Red. Um, I don't know who Red is. Shawshank Redemption. Oh, Shawshank. I was thinking Red Auerbach. No, I'm thinking patience and time. Uh, JJ has one last point, and then we'll wrap up. I thought um, you were going to talk about the best all-time Yankees. I was going to. I was going to let Josh go, and we'll and we'll argue that. Job. But we're going to include Josh on it. Um, so basically, we did have a question for someone asking. So where does this Yankees top ten rank among the all-time Yankees top tens? And uh, and, I mean, if you're looking at what's the best Yankees top 10 of all time, it's 1995. It's going into the 95 season. Number one was Ruben Rivera, who, okay, that, as everyone knows, a very famously uh, uh, bust. And, yeah, uh, he's, he's listed next to bust in, in the dictionary. And also against, again, in stolen, uh, stolen uh, memorabilia as well. I was also going to say, like, also listed next to the worst base running of all time. And one of my favorite YouTube clips, thanks to John Miller, calling it the worst base running of all time. But number two, Derek Jeter. Number three, Andy Pettit. Number four, Russ Davis, who had a solid career. Uh, number five, Brian Taylor, who, okay, obviously, career-ending injury. Matt Drews, number six. But Jorge Posada, seven. Mariano Rivera, nine. So you had Jeter, Pettit, Posada, Rivera. That's two Hall of Famers and two guys who very rightly should have, you know, uh, on a team that retires, has every number retired. <laughs> Pettit and Posada are guys who you retire the number for. I mean, they were, they're were they all-time Yankee greats, and that's hard to say because the Yankees have had insane number of greats, but they were key members of many a World Series and a World Champs. So It's a lot of retired numbers, man. <laughs> I mean, it's a, a lot. lot. But so that is, that's a top 10 that is hard to, uh, you know, to exceed. Because, obviously, you start with, you have Jeter and Rivera. You have two all-time greats on it. Yes. But I do think when you look at this, you know, if at the time, I mean, again, at the time, Mariano Rivera wasn't Mariano Rivera. 
he had a cut fastball that acts like a slider in the scouting report, but he was a starter, so he was also throwing a changeup and a curveball that needed some work. Um, and so he had great control, but obviously he became Mario Rivera when they put him in the pen and said, here, just throw that cutter. Yeah. And then we're going to call for the cutter again, and we're going to call for it again, and that's all you're going to need to do for the next 20 years, and you'll do it really well. Right. But, um, but as you said, John, I mean, this is, this is a top 10 that has a whole lot of top 100 guys. Yeah. I mean, Justice Sheffield's seven on this list. He's going to be in the top 100. Chance Adams is going to be the top 100. Chance Adams is... He's going to be in mine. He's very likely to be in the top 100. Domingo Acevedo is 10 on this list, and he's not going to make the top 100, but you could make a... Well, we're going to do 150s. We do 150s. He'll probably be in my 150. I would agree. Josh, how many Yankees are in your personal top 100? Well, I haven't written it yet, but... um, (laughs) I I could see all 10 of them being in there. All 10 of those 10. You yeah, are high on Dustin Fowler. You you are a big Dustin Fowler. I do. Guy. I do like Dustin Fowler, and I'm not the only one. I might be the only one in the office, but the Eastern League people sung his praises and sung them loudly and from the highest point they could find. Um, they yeah, had a couple things about him, but, his play, but they loved him. His play discipline, again, worries me. He's just not a guy with um, – maybe I'm overdoing it, but 22 walks, 311 on base – it just makes me think he's more of a fourth outfielder than an impactful everyday player. But he does have a high floor. He can play all three positions. He's a left-handed hitter. He really impressed me with his pop this year. I'm not sure how much of that slugging comes from the, the triples. I like triples, but... 15 you know, triples is a lot of triples. a lot of triples. Um, not a lot of guys do that. The most in the Eastern League since 1993. So there's, there's something there. There's clearly at least gap power there. Uh, translating that into home run power in the big league level, to me, usually requires a little bit better plate discipline. But maybe he just, uh, you know, really makes a lot of contact, too. You know, 86 strikeouts in this day and age is, is decent over as much, you know, 541, and close to 600 plate appearances. So um, if that guy's your number nine, you're, I think it's another sign that you have a, a deep and, and again, this is, a, and Josh, you, t- you summed it up, too, which is, is that this is not a top ten. That's really good. This is a top 30 that's really good. And all those guys you saw at Pulaski, Josh, those raw right. 17, 18-year-old tool sheds. <laughs> they're, they're, although you have all those tool shed guys who, if they were in the back end of a 10, that's yeah. not a bad thing for your top 30. Right. But the fact that they're not in the top 10 because you have these guys who are all closer to the big leagues, that makes it for an incredibly deep top 30 because – Again, there are a whole lot of organizations where you could have picked out three, four, five of those guys right. and put them in the top ten, and would not it would not look you would not look askance at a team because those guys, if they were number one, two, three, you go right. okay, that's being a little aggressive for a guy who's yet to play full season ball. Or Miguel Andujar, a third baseman in the fall league, who's got you know if it comes together, he has profile third base tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyler Wade is another high floor. I have some confidence that guy's gonna be a really solid utility guy. Um, you know, again, Dylan Tate was the fourth overall pick in the draft a year not and a half ago, ago. Not in the top ten. Um, so they have, and again, really said, impressive and, and a ton of international talent that they spent a lot of money. And so far, now not all those guys have produced so far, but so far those guys are living up to the expectations for when they got a lot of money, it's like, this is the kind of guy we expect this guy to be. Right. And those tools are still there a year later. Josh, uh, you can finish on this note. Is your favorite deep cut from the Yankees organization Estevan Florial, or is there someone else? I have a feeling it's Estevan Florial. 
Yes, it's Florio. I mean, I, I what about Florio? I talk to the potential. I mean, he's got three seventies on the card, according to people outside the system, in his uh, his arm, his power, and his uh, his run tool, and. They love him. They love him, love him, love him. It's going to take a little bit of time. Um, he would have gotten a lot more on his bonus if he hadn't had a little name snafu, um, as so many prospects do uh, in that general area. Uh, people tried to trade for this guy uh, before he even started the season with Pulaski. Hmm. They love him, and he's got a lot, a lot, a lot of potential. There are warts. There are, there's bust potential in there. But the tools that he begins with are really, really good beginning. Yeah, there's, uh, there's, it's going to take some time. Uh, when you hit 225 with 78 strikeouts and 236 of bats in rookie ball, uh, that, yeah, that's, uh, that means that you're, there's rawness there. But he is. Oh, he's uh, definitely raw. He, he doesn't turn 19 until next, uh, you know, 10 days from now. Um, he's the rare player listed as being born in Haiti. You don't have that too often. Uh, Miguel Sano might say hello. Um, but oh, which is amazing. But that'll be they literally. You're you are talking about <laughs> a you know like you are just miles from a country that yeah. produces more baseball players than anyone, and it's like nope. If you're on the Haiti side of that island, yeah, you don't. But he he is all kinds of intriguing for sure. And uh, again, just I think another sign of the depth the Yankees have. Uh, they were uh, aggressive internationally, and they drafted. Uh, better uh, in recent years, uh, and I, I think their development has uh, done a nice job, and they've done all that well, changing uh, some of their development pro- processes. But that, that we didn't. By the way, we didn't talk about we didn't talk about Jordan Montgomery, who is going to be in their eleven to twenty somewhere. I think I pretty much named their entire eleven to twenty in this podcast. Hmm. Um, but he's going to be in there. He quietly had one of the very best pitching seasons in the minor leagues. You know, a left-hander with a a not overpowering fastball, a big old curveball, a but slider, and a changeup. It's it's his fastball's firm enough. It, it's a it's a solid fifty fastball. Okay. You don't think um, so? No, no. I just didn't. I took me a second to hear what you said. I heard I heard not too staunch, but I clicked. <laughs> um, uh, and then you had you had a lot of other guys pop up who were you know on the fringes of being org players who had nasty seasons. Uh, Daniel Camarena in that Trenton rotation had a really good year. Um, Dietrich Enns, mm-hmm. who came out of nowhere, had a really, really good year and was an integral part of both playoff teams in AA. Um, those guys are going to warrant mention at some point. Montgomery's going to be higher than most of those guys because he's younger. Um, but it's, it's just stacked from top to bottom. They've done a really good job of transforming that system over the last few years. It's a really good system, and uh, they've spent a lot of money to make it that, and then they made a lot of trades, and now we'll see if they turn some of that talent around and spin it for big league players. I think that's very possible this offseason for the Yankees. Um, But they they do have all kinds of depth, and so I think they're going to have a good top 30 in the handbook, really, no matter what they do this offseason, because they they probably have 50 guys who are legit top 30 prospects for a lot of organizations. You say that. I remember being on a flight to somewhere – and wrote down 50 guys who were candidates for the top 30. You told me that. That's why oh, I easy. said that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't pull that number out of my uh, rear end. I pulled it out of a conversation with you. So uh, everyone who listened to this podcast can judge if those two things are the same. But, Josh, thank you for joining us for your wow. some downtime after the Almanac. Appreciate all that. 
And uh, thanks for the minor league logo talk. Uh, thank you, Ice Bear. Talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. So for Josh Norris and J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you in the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.